And welcome to yet another rousing round of the Dice of Screaming. Oh, oh yeah, we're going to match you. We were absent from Friday last week. Just uh, kind of ran out of some time, so we're back at you, though, full force. Yeah, that was uh, uh, principally my fault. Um, oh, no. You, no, but... <laughs> you would expect no less from... <laughs> the wealthy procurus of gaming podcasts. Yes, the wandering doxy table. <laughs> you might need a thesaurus to know what a wealthy procurus entails. And a good dictionary. Yeah, high-quality dictionary will help. Uh, <laughs> or a classic edition of the DM's Guide. Yep. Uh, but that's us. Uh, obscure and largely irrelevant. Um, yeah, so uh, everything's going pretty good. Uh, we're here just uh, coming at you this week. So we got uh, two good episodes lined up for you uh, for Freeform tonight, and uh, which is Topic Tuesday, and for later on in the week, which is Freeform Friday. I'm just good. All right. Yeah, kimono opening. I know this... this is supposedly verboten, but you know people have seen the title by now. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let the kimono flutter a little in the breeze. Uh, this week's theme is Star Trek. Ooh. Yeah, whoosh, whoosh. yeah, yeah, exactly. Opening and closing doors. Shh, shh. No, the ship flying past in the credits. You know, like oh yeah, first of the left. You remember the, the, the original episode? They're the, going every which way. Well, yeah, the original episode. You know, with some kind of. I don't know what we would call that opener for the original Star Trek series. Was that some kind of mambo uh, dance thing? I, I do not know. It was a little bit of a little of a bit of an open jazz groove thing. But yeah, let, let's face it, it was. I mean, there were bongo the drums playing back then, I and, loved and the some chick going, and it was like, whoa. Yeah, this is like, I feel like I should be listening to this in a French cafe in 1967, right before some dude like Austin Powers starts like a, a dance-off in the street. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, that is our theme, but we'll get to the specific topic a little later. Yeah, that's we'll, right. we'll get the precise details a little further down the road. So it's been a quiet week here at the uh, Dice Streaming. Uh, we haven't had any call-ins in a while, but that's okay. Probably people are recovering from the ass-kicking of the holidays, so... Which, yes, uh, we all took, like, three die, eight dice in, in uh, holiday damage. Yeah, my credit card is still sore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my movement rate is halved. Mm -hmm. uh, mostly by food. Um, oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> oh, but... Uh, things are slowly returning to normal, and we're still in an unseasonable, uh, good weather spate. Yeah, we had a little icy thing happen where they 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 teased us with the threat of some bad weather that then uh, delivered only a tiny fraction of what was anticipated. So we feel very fortunate. Yeah, I'd rather dodgeable, but that's Michigan for you, or at least Southwest Lower Michigan, where if you ever wondered what living in a world governed by a random weather table was like, just come live here for a while. Oh, yeah. I, I personally liked the meme that had the weatherman just throwing his hands up and saying, you know, screw it. How about you just, like, put a barbecue and a snow shovel in your car and then drive until you find the weather you like because it's going to be somewhere near here and there's no there's no way. that You cannot predict this crap. There's nothing. I, yeah, North Air got, got hit pretty hard by the ice and uh, yeah. they lost power quite a bit. Up there, so we were lucky to dodge it down here. 
Which, it did make uh, driving a little difficult the next morning, but it wasn't too awful bad. No, I've seen ice storms where they were absolute things of beauty. uh, Terrifying in their wrath. But, you know, you walked out the door in the morning, and the entire world was encrusted in ice. And Mm -hmm. when the sun hit the trees, the entire planet shined. Yep. And, like, literally every leaf on every tree caked. In ice, just a perfect sheet around every tiny twig and branch. Uh, that would have been great if all the power hadn't been out. Yeah, that, all right, fair enough. And it was a long while before it came back back in those days. Uh, they really had to undo a lot of damage for that kind of ice storm. So, yes, let us thank our lucky stars. We're here, we're podcasting, life is good. Yeah, and uh, you know that we're well over 50 because we at least talk about the weather most of the time now. Because that's probably the only safe topic left besides some of our gaming ideas. Oh, that in World War II. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we can always ramble on about that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I prefer Meander. We are like the History Channel's target market group right here, you know. Well, until the History Channel well, became about ancient aliens finding yeah. Hitler. And I don't do History Channel after dark, okay? You know, no, his, History Channel at, like, noon, and it's, you know, the ancient Egyptians built the pyramids. Uh, and, you know, like, his, History Channel after midnight, the pyramids were alien warships, dude! Oh, no, it's even, it's, <laughs> Go, it, that's, it, that's it, and primetime now. Am but, I too tame? Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Let's see, it's Treasure of Oak Island, I mean, Forge and Fire, which uh, we kind of like, I've showed you a couple of episodes. Yeah, but that's people actually forging stuff. Yeah, that's like actual that. history in the making, because they actually have historical swords that... They, yeah, they, they keep bringing out, like... Like, like the Hunga Munga. Yeah, who sees... Who here has wielded a hungamunga? I have not. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it looks I, dangerous. It, it really does. Oh. <laughs> I, I do not want to I see. I mean, oh boy, that's a trip to the emergency room right there. No, um, good stuff. But yeah. for those of us who are old war gamers and like like things like swords and really fascinating classical historical weaponry, uh, then a show like that is yeah, is it's Curse of Oak Island. Spoiler alert: There's nothing there. Um, <laughs> the curse is the words you will be saying after you realized you just watched an entire season of this for nothing. Okay, that, uh, yeah, there's ancient aliens on there and there's American pickers. Ooh, wow. Be still my heart of <laughs> historical lore. But yes, all right. So yeah, we are the target market, but we spend a lot of time talking about stuff that nobody really cares about. Except you guys who are listening. So we're going to get some topic after we are right back after doing a little bill paying in the form of some advertisements. So stick around. All right, and we're back. So thanks for being patient. So, yeah, we already let the cat out of the bag. So here he is yeah, running around. Yeah, yeah, all right. But, you know, <clears throat> that's this week. But being topic specific is different. Okay, the theme is Star Trek. But the specific topic for Topic Tuesday is... The incarnations of Star Trek as a game, yeah. of which there are not just one, but several. Huh. You know, that <laughs> we have played almost all of these. I have played almost all of these. Uh, I believe the, there's one incarnation in there that I have not played. But point is, uh, Star Trek has been a part of gaming for a very long time, and, you know, we may cover something about that a little later, but we're going to tackle it game by game. Yeah, we're going to talk about Star Trek as a gaming franchise, as well as, you know, talk a little bit about the various genres therein. 
because there are several genres, not just uh, the different timelines, but uh, there are actually two specific genres inside Star Trek. So we're just going to start it off that um, Star Trek has been around and has been as, as a gaming format for a long time. And really the first game company to come out with anything was uh, Task Force Games with their Starfleet Battles. Now this was more of a war game and we're not going to really cover that too much. There's also Lou Zochi came out with a Starfleet uh, combat system that used mostly uh, Franz Joseph's uh, Blueprints and uh, Guide to Starfleet, which was published right after the TV show pulled it up. Uh, he did a lot of the uh, designs and things like that uh, for ships that we didn't get to see because of budget things. Oh, yeah. I mean, not everything that was on deck for use in the show made it onto the show. Yeah, made it on air because, you know, I think... Uh, AMT Models made the Galileo Space Shuttle, and they actually built that one uh, for the episode. So that was built off the model that was uh, a reverse of rather than having something in the show show up uh, on uh, as a model kit. This was a model kit actually, hey, here's something we'll build, and you can show it on your show, and we'll sell the model kit. Now, that worked out well for all involved. But, yeah, uh, the shuttlecraft, but... But anyway, we're talking about all the stuff that went on uh, for gaming. So, yeah, uh, Starfleet Battles had been around for a while, but they really weren't a role-playing game. They were more of a war game. Yeah, this was tactical war gaming. Uh, it involved, obviously, you know, map. Uh, yeah, you know, the standard the, little uh, hex map. And the relative position of ships and the statistical breakdowns of the, you know, capacity, the thresholds, the speed maneuverability, uh, weaponry, you know, these were the facets of ship-to-ship -ship combat in the Star Trek-verse, and that was the first outing. It was not an incarnation as a role-playing game. Nominally, the players were captains of a particular ship. Yep, and, and they did flesh out their own universe, and this is why there's two different genres. There's kind of like one where there's a TV show, and the other Starfleet battle is kind of a little bit more loose, but it follows pretty much the same thing in the TV show. The Klingons are obviously the bad, the bad guys. Oh, um, throw some Romulans in. Yeah, there. and he had the Romulans, <laughs> of course, and the Tholians and the Gorn. And then they got started going to the Gazinti and the Lyrans and the Hydrans and a whole, whole mess of other stuff. And then later the Andromedans uh, invasion, which, you know, was a kind of a meta art. But yeah, they, they did diversify and, uh, Paramount never sued them because Roddenberry gave them a nod and a wink to that. They were a fan created, uh, vehicle and he wanted to encourage that. And so he was one of the few properties, uh, Franz Joseph and others using that property. As long as they stuck to that, they didn't stick to the, or go into the movies or anything else. No, no. They, they, they could stayed keep in publishing. Their lane. Mm -hmm. they, they published precisely the kind of material that they were expected to. Uh, and they, they had a very comfortable relationship that, you know, nobody stepped on each other's toes on this one. Yeah, and it was one of those few times where franchising wasn't really involved. There was no license fees, but it was just expected that they would just stay to the TV show and that's it. So then in the 80s, Fossa Corporation which uh, we're well familiar with here, or at least some of our listeners should be. Yeah, I, these are the, the people behind Shadowrun. Yeah, uh, before there was Shadowrun, and during uh, just a little bit during the time of the Doctor Who role-playing game, uh, Bossa came out with Star Trek, the role-playing game, which was a all-encompassing 
game. It included not just a role-playing role, but it also included a starship combat system. Yeah, so it possessed all of the same qualities that uh, Starfleet Battles had. Uh, the essential qualities. Yeah. Uh, measurable ship-to-ship combat. However, unlike Starfleet Battles, uh, it included a wonderfully diverse opportunity for role-playing. Yeah, uh, and it also... individual characters as... You know, like they could also use the movie ship. times because the uh, Star Trek, the motion picture came out and Wrath of Khan had come out uh, during this time frame that uh, would see this role-playing game come out. And so, early 80s, uh, it was a die percentile system. And, of course, you could generate your own characters. Or you could just uh, play any of the established ones. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to, you know, crew the Enterprise and be the individual characters from that, this option was open to you. Now, uh, we, you know, actually uh, ran homemade characters. Uh, yeah, we played a couple of sessions with the... Uh, the standard characters out of the TV show, and then we decided to create our own ship. Oh, geez, that's right. Uh-huh. We did the Intrepid. I was the doctor. Well, you were the doctor, yeah, and then that one. You were McCoy. Hard drinking and angry. <laughs> Boy, that was a stretch for you, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was just a huge leap. Uh, I, I really had to stretch my acting wings there, you know, to, to soar, because uh, that, was, that was a tough reach. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But basically, uh, it was a percentile-based system. It had action points uh, to dictate the flow of combat, which was novel. For instance, dodging or maneuvering in and out of things or doing the Kirk roll. All took a number of action points out of you. Your initiative went on different phases, and you counted down. And it was all percentile dice with modifiers, so it was pretty versatile, easy to get into, and it wasn't really all that complicated. So it lended itself well to one of our pickup games. Also, the Starship Combat System with its... Uh, Starship design system, which was not perfect, but hey, it was what can you expect, allowed you to play from the classic TV era into the movie eras, so you could uh, play a lot of the scenarios out of that, and also construct your own. And the best thing was, is it had an interlocking system that used both the war game that came with the deluxe version, and the standard role-playing game, with the deluxe, uh, with the idea that Everybody during the crew would be handling a different part, like the helmsman would be firing the weapons, the navigator would be moving the ships and taking care of the shields, the engineer would be supplying uh, power to all the systems, keeping everything flowing and moving, where the captain would be making decisions and giving bonuses or small uh, insights into the strategy needed to outmaneuver or predict the other opponent moving into you. Um, And you know, also giving a small advantage here and there, and the science officer scanning and making sure everything that uh, that was happening on the bridge was repeated. <laughs> but, uh, you know, point being, there was a role for everybody. Yeah. Uh, as long as the group was not too unusually large. Yeah. And at that particular time, game groups did tend a little bit towards the small. Sure, and they gave other small tasks. Uh, so if you had like uh, eight players there, you could give other ones smaller uh, roles. <laughs> Woe betide you if you drew red shirt. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, old Trope is still <laughs> garnering some miles off of its worn tires. But <laughs> Stormtrooper shoots at a red shirt. Stormtrooper misses. Red shirt Heart dies, dies anyway. anyway. Yeah. Falls into a Um... But, uh, yeah, Star Trek, the role-playing game, 
I had a good uh, premise that you could combine both the role-playing and the wargaming together, and they had excellent sheets and counters to help facilitate both modes of play. So it really lent itself well to a different experience. I, and mind you, the ability to do all of these things was present in a cruder form in Traveler and in you know certain other games. Mm -hmm. However, uh, the Star Trek-verse uh, had kind of been holy ground. So to have a game that thoroughly... Uh, spelled out the available Star Trek universe uh, and didn't lock you into just ship-to-ship -ship combat, you know. Right. We're not doing a background story. There are ships. You They're angry. Some. They're angry ships. They're shooting at each other. Go. Yeah. It's totally happening. You're going to blow up a ship today. Could be yours. Could be theirs. Let's see what the dice say. Uh, that was different. This it was a lot more engaging uh, to me. You know, the ability to... Uh, have character interaction, uh, at least nominally. And then, you know, it doesn't have to be ship-to-ship -ship combat in a session. It can also be exploration, rescue missions, things like that. Yep. Uh, diplomatic negotiations, <laughs> using a little gunboat diplomacy. Also beating godlike, powerful aliens who have no chance, that you have no chance against make your time to survive. Yeah, I... Yeah. You gotta make do with trickery because obviously force majeure is not gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> What's their weakness? They always have a weakness. Uh, unless your DM is really cruel. Yeah, but it provided a pretty good experience and, uh, you know, it was definitely uh, set during the TV show and the movie eras, which pretty much covered the characters that we all know well and love. Or at least remember, if you don't love them. I know some people are very. Ambivalent about the various older characters, but then the next generation happened, and uh, the Fossa game tried to get an update on it, but then Paramount was very iffy about renewing the license to another game company, saying that role-playing games were dying, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm not going to get into that, because that takes us on a whole other uh, path, but we're just going to say that they did put out one source book for the next generation for the first season, and while it sold well, sold well and tried to update the many facets of the game, for instance. Uh, obviously, there had been a great leap of technology forward from the old Constitution-class cruiser to the new Enterprise-class Enterprise D uh, heavy galactic cruiser, or love boat, as it would later be called. <laughs> love boat in space. Yeah. Uh. Uh, but, you know, uh, the, it basically dropped off, and uh, you didn't really see anything. And so it would be for quite a while that uh, Star Trek would linger on the sidelines. And uh, strange enough, uh, the next offering for Star Trek role-playing would be with from Task Force Game. They came out with their own role-playing system called Prime Directive. And this was kind of a fiddly system, but uh, it used a tricode uh, system with dice sixes with various levels of success. Um... Pretty much just, uh, let's say here, it's a kind of a hard-to-grasp system, but once you get your mind wrapped around the basic concepts, it's pretty easy to play. But the nice thing about this one was, is surprisingly, out of all the things, Prime Directive really presented itself as a role-playing game, which told the Game Master to put himself in the shoes of a TV producer, with the idea of seasons, cliffhangers, and episodes of recurring villains, and not to use your recurring villains too often, and have a diverse 
set of missions to undertake. And this one, rather than being the bridge crew members, this was Prime Teams were highly trained professionals sequestered aboard starships that were expected to see a diverse amount of missions for on behalf of the Federation. And instead of being like the captain and chief engineer and chief medical officer, these were highly trained, almost special forces types who were able to carry out a great deal of missions like first contact and diplomatic arrangements without endangering the bridge staff of a, a starship. Which, you know, a perfectly valid core concept. Like, hey, you know, isn't this like literally half of the officer core for, for this you know, yeah. vessel? You know, it, it seemed to some to be a ludicrous idea to send that many important people. Uh, and so, yeah, this neatly sidestepped that issue. It's like, no, you're the people who are supposed to go down there. Uh-huh. Yeah, you kind of, in a way, are the red shirts, but in this case, you're highly trained red shirts who have a diverse set of skills that make you a valuable member of the Starship crew, as well as being able to leave your positions without jeopardizing the performance of that Starship. So, rather than tying you directly to the performance of a Starship, this puts you in a unique area of, of flexibility for the Game Master to design a scenario that doesn't involve everything about the ship, although you're still in command or contact with the ship and beholden to upholding the tenets of the Federation, you are also expected to carry out a lot of missions on the behalf of the captain and its staff. Yeah, I mean, if it's justified, the DM is effectively the captain. And if deus ex machina, you know, okay, the ship is coming into the rescue, right. you know, then okay, all right, acceptable. Uh, but... But you, you wouldn't know. expect this kind of role-playing uh, experience out of Task Force Games, which was... You know, uh, Starfleet Battles was seen as huge, ponderous, and full of rules. See subsection 4.1-22 of the subsection rule. C paragraph 3. Oh, uh, yeah, this was a Dave game all the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I speak of a friend of ours who, you know, the more cumbersome the rules, literally the happier he gets. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I've got to read this one for at least six months before we can play a session. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, on the other hand, the only complaint I had about Starfleet battles was the cumbersome nature of the rules. I never mastered them in any respect. Yeah, it wasn't too hard to figure out, but it was just kind of fiddly with the uh, tricode system. But once again, it worked, and it had a weirdly effective narrative to how to explain how to run games and keep a diverse set of stories, because... You were supposedly vying as the game master for ratings, much like the beleaguered Gene Roddenberry and his uh, writing staff in the first season of Star Trek. They were vying constantly to keep the episodes fluid, or fluid with uh, money, so that they could continue filming more episodes. So they had to make win the ratings war. So you had different things that you had to do so that it would be a diverse mix of stories, and it was very true to the. Similar premise. Kind of like the Orville is to Star Trek. Oh, well, sure. But this was not set in the solid canonical Star Trek universe. And I laugh when anybody says canonical Star Trek universe. But it was not set in the popular Star Trek universe. And uh, it had its own, it followed the Starfleet Battles uh, timeline, which, you know, for better or worse, is a series of skirmishes between the various uh, interstellar empires that inhabited it. So, you know, you would, but you had your familiar Klingons and Romulans and, you know, some few new interesting faces as well. So it was a nice system. And it was also followed up with GURPS. I got to say, I, I do want to, you know, give a special nod to Prime Directive for the concept of 
you know, the game is a show, uh, which, you know, like it's just an internal meta joke almost. You know, the show is a game is a show. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's yeah. uh, having that quirky sense of humor. And they were also teaching, in a way, writing. Uh, you know, episodic writing, you do want to have an arc. You want to have an overriding narrative, but then room for adventure along the way. Uh, and, you know, recurring characters. Yeah, trying to have and a role for everybody. Hate. Yep. Having a recurring villain that foreshadows this cliffhangers and uh, mid-season... God! <laughs> you know. Mid-season cliffhanger. It's Sweeps Week, which means fan service. Ooh, <laughs> Orion Slave Girls are in your future. Yeah, at just, you know, those interludes are... Cool, can we have Earth a Kit in a free bikini? Ooh. <laughs> Catwoman era. Earth a Kit. Yeah. Yeah. That was all right. That's, Since it's Sweeps Week, you know, got to win the viewers. Mm. Or the kid in a furry bikini. Ding. So yeah, that was uh, the Star Trek, uh, the Starfleet Battles Prime Directive, and I still like it. I still own a copy, and I still uh, run it out once in a while on the USS Agincourt. We're all well to know. And uh, as I said, uh, GURPS picked it up and uh, Starfleet role playing, and so they. You can still find uh, a good uh, copy of the GURPS uh, Prime Directive stuff around, so you can uh, make use of that. And uh, occasionally you can find in some cheap boxes, and for about five bucks, I think Task Force Games still carries some Prime Directive rule books for about five bucks. So, yeah, you can get some of that stuff. But we're going to move on to um, Last Unicorn Games was the next one to pick it up, about 1999. Uh, Right at the turn, uh, they uh, picked up in full disclosure, this is the particular incarnation of the game that I have not played. Uh, I have never actually played the last Unicorn Games version. So, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, that one I have no experience with. But, uh, from all reports, not a bad outing. No, last Unicorn Games um, picked it up and they came out with first the Star Trek Next Generation, uh, which is their starter. Uh, introductory stuff, and uh, it was pretty well received. It used the icon system, which basically ran off of four, sometimes five stats, but you used psionics. And you picked the higher of the stat, four or five stats, as it were, were divided into two more substats, like intellect was logic, and, re- and uh, which obviously was reasoning, and knowledge. And so you would use whatever controlling attribute roll that many dice, dice sixes, and then that highest one out of those rolls would be added to your skill level. And then that would be the difficulty number. So it was very quick and fast, uh, much like the uh, original Star Trek uh, role-playing game with percentile dice. This one used a different technique, but it was pretty quick and versatile. And, uh, of course, it lent itself well to Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, which is a little bit different in its feel from the original version, but they came up with the classic one, which uh, provided you with a little bit more, uh, I want to say, kind of a 60s feel to her uh, duty through, um, uh, like, the Air Force Academy or higher education to start your characters out, rather than uh, Star Trek Next Generation, which just kind of brushed that over. Ah, okay. You know, you already had, you know, you were entered into whatever field you were, and then you'd already passed Starfleet. In the, the classic game, 
uh, they depended more on your early education, you know, kidding you out. And then you went to your, you chose your department rather than, okay, I'm going to be from engineering. And then you just create your character and this is what you got. Okay. In the next generation. And Deep Space Nine kind of melded the two together. Oh, they had a Deep Space Nine? Yeah, they did the Deep Space Nine. I did not know that. Yeah. So they covered the current eras. And so uh, Last Unicorn Games was doing really well with it. But uh, Wizards of the Coast bought them out and Paramount pulled the license. And then gave it to Decipher, who finished it up with uh, the Voyager Hmm. uh, series using the same game system. Well, I'll say this. With a small company, you're less likely to run into contractual arguments. You know, uh, you don't see that level of infringement with small companies. They tend to stay in their lane and do what they're supposed to do and play by the rules. Well, more than Paramount was worried because Wizards had both the Star Wars and Dungeons & Dragons license. And having both... Or I was also getting the Dune license, which also caused that to be pulled out. Oh. Yeah. Last Unicorn game had just come out with the Dune. Oh, a role-playing game. And that got yanked back. Yeah, too. so okay. they lost, you know, they bought an empty game company, but that's what happens with licensing. So is the world of high finance and the gaming. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, these are... That, I say that properties. jokingly because high finance and gaming really... It is a bit of a... Bit of an oxymoron there, but yeah. Uh, but the cipher carried it out, and um, they uh, they got Voyager. But uh, the nice thing about Last Unicorn Games is a couple of the guys that were on board with that finished up a lot of the source books mm. for free. Aww, they did it on their own time and published them for free without uh, any problem. Um, See, they nice... didn't publish them in a format, but this was before all this PDF stuff came out, and that's what they put them into. So there's a lot of stuff that. Uh, they had online uh, downloadable content, Last Unicorns Games did. So they were one of the first uh, game companies to really jump on that whole internet thing. Yeah, these guys were really connected. I mean, they were just, well, you know, no pun intended. They were wired in, man. They, yeah. They had a good sense of where they were They were also going. working well with the fan community. And um, a lot of high praise comes to the people who were involved with that whole thing. Because uh, Deep Space Nine at the time was really, uh, it was literally happening. As they were writing the rules. I mean, no sooner than the ink would dry or, excuse me, the uh, inner key would be hit when something new would be coming out for Deep Space Nine. So they were very, they worked very hard to keep up with it. So the Ah. only way to do that, of course, was to offer online content. Brilliant. Okay. All right. That does make a certain sense. Yeah, and they got the license yank just when the the Armageddon supplement was coming out with the the rules for the Dominion Cardassians and all that stuff. The Cardassian conflict. So they had a bunch of stuff written that they didn't get to actually yeah. formally publish, but it's sweet that and they for the let con- it go and on their, the house. And, and an overarching one, which was the uh, playing with the uh, godlike characters like the Q and other uh, the uh, Organians, I think it was the ones who uh, enforced the treaty between peace treaty between the Federations and Klingons. Oh, and also time travel. It was uh, what's called the. Uh, Beyond the uh, Known Universe, I think was the uh, working title for that. But they did publish that one, which I thought was probably the most exciting concept to put into the Star Trek universe was, okay, so... Well, I I mean, it's a recurring theme throughout the show. Oh, yeah. Time travel. Both in the movies and in the TV shows, uh, time travel was used because, I mean, it's awfully fun to write because you, you get these bumpy rides that you wouldn't normally be able to do as long as you can incorporate time travel into the mix. So uh, good for them for 
taking advantage of that because it's as fun in gaming as it is in anything else. If if it's handled well, right. And of course, the you know ubiquitous like the cre- the being that's almost godlike in its powers. Uh, boy, in the original Star Trek universe, they had Apollo. Mm. Remember that one? Yeah, the Greek gods. Yeah, the Greek gods showed up and uh, or one of them did. And found out that of course he got his power from the throne or pillars he sat on. And then there was Trelane. Um, and, I remember that from Sony. And then, of course, the Organians. Oh. And several other uh, minor races, uh, including the first ones, I forget what they were called, in the pilot episode with Commander Pike. Oh, my goodness. You guys are the big heads. Yeah. You had to convince you of, you know, just alter your senses to whatever they wanted you to feel or experience. Which led that planet to being called uh, Forbidden, off, completely off contact, because you know nobody should be contact with these aliens is hazardous. It will end poorly. The Forbidden Zone. Well, not poorly, but you know, it, since they could make you believe anything they wanted, and would just sit back and watch vicariously, uh, it was often hazardous for less advanced races to be in contact with them. Yeah. So that was one thing from Star Trek that I uh, liked from the classic series, and a little less picked up in the uh, later ones, but it's a hard premise to deal with because, you know, it was the acceptance that humanity wasn't the uh, superior race in everything, it, you know, that there were other races out there that were much more advanced and sometimes indifferent to what humans wanted or thought they should be experiencing. Yeah, there was a whiff of the old Cthulhu ethos there. Mm-hmm. You know, the brushing up against something in the cosmos that does not give a rat's butt about you and could snuff you with the, an afterthought. And, you know, a little, little hint of that in science fiction as well. Now, uh, let's see, what else was there? In the- well, yeah, nowadays, uh, you know, and it would look like it would be the end of Star Trek, the role-playing game, for a while. But uh, I'm probably going to ma- massacre this name. Modifius uh, Games. That looks right. Yep. They picked up Star Trek Adventures, and they use a 2-die-20 system with the lowest roll plus a controlling attribute. It's a little bit contrived and fiddly, but again, just like the tri-code from Task Force Games Prime Directive, it's once you get your uh, brain wrapped around it, it's pretty good. Um, they hit the scene hard with it with uh, a Star Trek core rulebook that covered all all the Star Trek universe. Oh, wow. They, they yeah, they just they put, put it right in there. Like, okay, you know, we're going to release supplements for this to help you get in here, but this is how this is done, this is how this is done. Well, and overarchingly, I tend to approve, because, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a gamer right down to my socks, and I appreciate being able to buy a system book that is comprehensive. I do not like the, we've broken down everything into the tiniest possible little tidbits to sell for the largest possible amount to be released, you know, just painstakingly slowly. I do not like that business mode. That honks me off instantly and sets me right on edge. Uh, whereas, you know, what they've done it sounds much more appealing to me. Well, it's a core concept that basically, uh, just like last Unicorn Games, although they broke it down into three distinct venues, and we're working on the fourth and possibly fifth to have all the movies put together. Um, they were trying to put into... Um, I think that one's going to be called The Final Frontier, but I digress. Anyway, Modibius uh, has done a really good job. They had the Borg Cube, 
which uh, came with four sets of miniatures from uh, the uh, different timelines, the original crew, the next generation crew, a box of Klingons and Romulans, uh, a bunch of markers and huh. uh, maps, and along with the uh, ship, all wrapped up in a board cube. It was about two or $300. Well out of my price range for uh, a game that I'm not really sure I'm going to be playing often, but uh, the core rule book sells well. And uh, Yeah, and in full disclosure, this is one that neither of us have truly played. No. Okay, we, we know of it. It's it's much newer, but uh, we have not done this one. Yeah, you can get the quick start rules for free off uh, Modipius' website and get your feet wet with it. comes with a, a good starter uh, crew, and uh, of course you're not really tied to the ship as much in this one as much more of an away team sort of uh, setting. So that makes it easier to deal with because then you don't have to worry about the technology aspects of, you know, What's the difference between a Constitution-class cruiser from the TV show and the Next Generation Sovereign-class uh, battle cruiser? Oh, a whole lot. A whole freaking lot. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, a whole freaking, freaking lot. Um, but, since you're not going to be really worried about that, transporters are transporters, shuttlecraft are shuttlecraft, blah, blah, blah. The big They're, core things are all yep. still in place. They run off the warp okay. engines that need the lithium crystals, which are unobtainium. Yeah, welcome to the unobtainium racket uh, once again. Yes, yeah. that's a running theme. So that's all you really need to know. So that's why there's one core rule book. Now, of course, they're going to come out with specific, and they already have uh, time uh, source books for those times to establish other things. And but you know, you have tricorders and communicators and your phasers and this and that, and you know what your enemies are doing. And uh, you know, your enemies are the Romulans and Klingons. You know, sorry. I know in Next Generation, they're your buddies, but uh, sometimes uh, it's always fun to bat, punch a Klingon in the nose, just like it is <laughs> kick down a door and hack an orc down. Yeah, uh, like Kirk shoulder roll yep. in the room and, you know. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, shoot to kill. We come in peace, shoot to kill, shoot to kill, Jim. Yeah, but, you know, um, I'm always going to be a sucker for the uh, TV show. So that's that's where my Star Trek experience really hits, but I love the intellectualism of the next generation, as well as its action and themes. I think Deep Space Nine lends itself a little bit more to the action-oriented stuff. Oh, well, the political intrigue. Yeah. Uh, you know, doubled down on that. Uh, and, you know, that... Uh, the Voyager theme, of course, uh, more emphasized a desperate alliance of people very, very far from home with incredibly limited resources. Yeah. Uh, so, a yeah, different style of play uh, when it translates into game format. Um, it's not, I'm not saying it's beyond the skills of a DM to, to manage that one, but it's a little bit tougher. Uh, but I can totally see DS9 uh, making a good transition to game. Mm -hmm. That level of political intrigue, skullduggery, and espionage uh, plenty of room for action there. And also, you know, you get the Defiant, which is a much more, you know, screw exploring the universe, let's blow up our enemies. Yeah, I, this ship is about kicking butt, uh, and it has no other purpose. Uh, <laughs> just, this is what it does best. It blows stuff It up. kicks your butt. Uh, no, there have been multiple incarnations... Uh, and justifiably so. Yeah, the, the one thing I'd like to mention about the Modipius Star Trek Adventures is is that they've come out with a, a kind of uh, open gaming format for it, so you can uh, design your own adventures and then get them uh, published, much like the DM's uh, Guild does for Dungeons & Dragons, as well as an organized play division, and a lot of different um, 
avenues of approach for how you want to set up a game from all the way to stuff like uh, Deep, Deep Space Nine, where you're an isolated space station on the borderlands of some place, to creating your own alien races. I mean, it does it all, and it's really uh, well put together. All these games are well worth their investment. I mean, you, if you can find a copy of the older ones, yeah, you know, you can play those too. But um, I kind of also look to the future and see that Modiphius is running it really well. And I approve heartily that uh, they have really grasped this and taken charge of it. Yeah. Where a lot of other companies have kind of, you know, they, they start out well, but it peters off in the end. We'll see where it goes. But this one seems to be really embraced by the fan community, and it works really well with a lot of different people who have good memories of the next generation as well as the old series. Yeah, I mean, and thankfully, with their considerable availability. I mean, in this era, you know, availability is is far greater. Uh, being able to access material. If you roll the clock back 25 years, it was a much more challenging thing for players to access outdated shows. Uh, you know, before the era of uh, you know, VCR and DVD players uh, in every home when it was a somewhat more rarefied thing, uh, you really had to be a fan and take some time out to go search for something. Now, of course, you know, you, you can either stream or purchase just about anything. Uh, so, you know, it, it's easier to find players with a dedicated interest to you know, bringing that, the atmosphere of the shows back to life in game form. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas before, if you weren't already a fan, you had some hurdles to overcome before you could join in. And I, I like anything that makes, you know, things more accessible. So this era has been good to us in that respect. Oh, yeah. And I'm more talking about the approachability of a game that you can conveniently purchase for a reasonable amount of money rather than in some flea bay trader, you know, charging $200 for a deluxe set of the original Star Trek the role-playing game from FASA. So. Yes. But anyway, uh, that'll do it for us. We kind of wrap yeah. it up for our gaming review. That's the state of Star Trek in the gaming world right now. And uh, so there's a plethora to pick from, old and new. And uh, you know, yeah, hail I mean, to they, the new and uh, you know, hats off to aside, the old. Uh, they are out there. You know, and yeah. I certainly advocate for playing some of the older editions if you happen to be able to get your paws on them. Uh, some of them are not overwhelmingly expensive. Uh, some of the earliest and oldest ones, uh, the the less widely distributed uh, pieces, may indeed be difficult to get your your hands on. But but the core rules are not, uh, you know, unobtainium. So hmm. that's not that's as rare as the lithium crystals. Oh Lord, no. Uh, well, all right. Well, that's going to do it for us. So yeah. we're going to wrap it up, rain it in, and put it away wet. So. With that allegory aside, uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, I'm sure you have many, but uh, the ones <laughs> pertaining to our particular episode tonight, of course, as well as anything that you'd like us to talk about, direct it to our Facebook page, Dice is Streaming, or get a hold of us on our Twitter, aliases, I'm Death Hand Gaming. Myself at MagiVox. Yeah, let us know what you think and what you want to hear, or just uh, download the Inker app and uh, send us a whole mess voice message and we'll doggone put you on the air. And... Probably not make you famous, but uh, we'll talk about you. <laughs> so, with that, without further ado, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.